Okay, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 13. And we're reading from verse 24, Matthew 13:24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest time. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barns. Now, if we skip on down to verse 36, he explains that parable. Verse 36 of Matthew 13. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who committed lawlessness, and will throw them in the furnace of fire in the place that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says that the the wheat is the sons of the kingdom, those who know God. The tares are those who were planted by the evil ones. So he says in verse 38, The field is the world, as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. The thing about wheat and tares is that as they start to grow up, The wheat and the tares are very hard to tell apart when they first get started. In fact, they look almost identical, the wheat and the tares. Look almost the same. And it's not until they start to grow, and they start to grow higher and higher, that you can begin to tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. So as they grow together at first, they look very similar. And it is much like the life of unbelievers and believers. I know a pair of young men who are brothers. It was interesting to watch their lives. I saw the one, they were brothers and they looked 
quite similar. And it was interesting to see the lives as one of the two brothers came to know the Lord. And the other one didn't want much to do with the Lord. Wasn't necessarily hard against it. Listened, and, but wasn't that interested. And they looked very similar at that time. On the day of this young man's conversion, the younger brother, he looked very much like his older brother. And as the two of them went through college, they were very close in age, I think only a year or two apart. As they went through college, they had similar sorts of experiences. But as they went on, the differences in their lives became more apparent. The one started going to church. The one started getting involved more in church and reading the scriptures. And the things that he would say, the way that he would act, this younger student, became more and more clear compared to the way that his older brother would act. And his older brother wasn't necessarily bad, but he ended up, much like many of the people of the world do, he ended up getting a girlfriend and then moving in with her, and then later on moving in with a different girl. And then the two of them graduated, first the older one, went off to graduate school, and then the younger one graduated and went off to a different sort of graduate program. And just watching the two lives, they became increasingly different. They started out like wheat and tares, but looking very much the same. And their lives became increasingly different. And I watched them as they got older. The, the younger one ended up finding a Christian woman who he married, in, very involved with the church and, and having children. The older one married, yet another woman, not any one of the two that he had known while he was in college. He, he married yet, yet another, another woman. And after about six or seven years, it was interesting to see that the older one, now with two children, was going through a divorce and the younger one, who himself had two children, was begging the older brother not to divorce. And I watched their lives grow increasingly different. And the younger one started getting really excited about the Lord and teaching his children the ways of God. And he would take the scriptures and use it as an area of understanding for he and his family and teaching his children these things. And he had some more children. And the older one ended up marrying very rapidly a, a, another woman who turned out to be his secretary. And then, watching their lives grow increasingly different, the older one then had a child. And when the child was only about three years old, ended up leaving that second wife of his for yet a third woman. And the younger one's life now being very different. And now the difference was really quite clear. You look at the older brother and there's a pain. You can just see pain and hardship in his life. You look at the younger brother and he too has gone through the normal challenges of life, but very different. 
very different expressions. And the picture that I've painted for you is not that uncommon. In fact, it is quite common. You say, well, the believer, the unbeliever, I don't see that much difference. But as their lives go on, and you see the impact of this book and of these scriptures in the lives, things begin to become different in the life of the believer. I've seen this with, with other friends of mine. I had a friend in college, a good friend. His name was Gordon. And, and um, he and I met there in the dormitory. And I came to know the Lord and he didn't. And I'd share with him things concerning God and he wasn't necessarily opposed to them, but he wasn't that interested. And as our lives went on through college, I started getting excited about the Lord, and he didn't. And he started getting involved in many things, and alcohol started really tearing apart his life. And the things of the world have a way of really chipping away at the freshness that God puts in a young life. And he got involved with women and with alcohol. And I remember seeing him the last time I saw him was at my wedding. He came to my wedding. It was the last time I saw him. And you could see how the, the world was just beginning to really chip away at his life. And I don't know what's become of him. But I know that if he did not come to the Lord, he would end up very much like both his mother and his father, who were both of them quite hard alcoholics. The wheat and the tares start out very much the same. But if the wheat does not begin to conform its life to the ways of the Word of God, it actually gets drawn astray, and I've seen that too. I joined a Christian discipleship program when I was a, right after my sophomore year of college, and so I enrolled in this, in this program where I lived in a house with, with nine other Christian guys and there was yet a second house of, of Christians and then there was a, a house down the road that had some Christian girls in it and we were all in a discipleship program as part of the church and we would get up in the morning and have Christian meetings and we'd have meetings once a week at night and, and things like that. And I remember one roommate who was much more advanced in the Lord than I was when I first came into that house. He knew a lot of scriptures. He had he'd actually been in that church a long time. He started very slowly becoming more and more cynical about the things of God. And he ended up slowly drifting away from the patterns that he had learned to be right and becoming critical of the things of God. And you will see that in your own life. There are times when you become cynical and critical concerning the things of God. And he ended up slowly drifting and slowly drifting, first having a Christian girlfriend, that he ended up doing things he should not have, and then having girlfriends who really didn't know the Lord, although that if you asked them they would say they were Christians, but really didn't know the Lord. And then after a few years, he ended up drifting very much away. He ended up marrying one of these girls. And then after a few more years, divorcing her. 
And there was always this pain in his life as he started to resemble the people of the world, the tares of the world. And I saw him once later on and I, and I could see that there was this pain there. And he was longing for something greater because he knew there was a better way. But there was a pain because he knew that he had forsaken the things of God. And there was a lot of water that had passed under this bridge after his time of forsaking. Let's turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We're going to look at that. It begins to talk about a life. Psalm 32, verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. This happens in the life of the believer and the unbeliever just the same. As we are confronted with sin... As we're confronted with our sin, what happens is something begins to wear away from us. Something begins to pick away at us as we are confronted with sin. And it says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. In fact, that word groaning, it says, literally means growling all day long. I don't know if you've ever been or gone through a phase where you've been somewhat rebellious and cynical and doubting the Word of God. And you have some sin and it begins to chip away at the very body you have. You begin to get sick, coughing a lot and feeling ill and feeling angry. Just through my groaning, through my growling all day long and you become more angry and more like the tares of the world. And you will see that this can creep into even the life of the believer. And I beg of you, when you see that start to come in, that you learn to fall on your knees and cry out to God and say, God, have mercy on me. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. And this is what I saw in that older brother. The two young lives were so healthy and so strong and so similar. But as one started to walk in sin, it began to chip away at his life. And he became sicker and more ill. His demeanor began to change. And sin has a way of wearing away at a life. And the younger brother... His life was not free of sin, but he was confessing his sin to God and saying, God, have mercy on me. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my, gro uh, my, my groaning all day long. 
For your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. When we walk in rebellion, our vitality is drained away. It's like there is no strength. And here is the solution. This book has for us the solution. God does not keep the solution a secret. And you will see that we are under continual temptation to reject the solution that is right there in front of us and to go on growling, to go on groaning, and to go on having the fever heat of summer drain us away and pick away at our lives. Verse 5, And I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Period. It is that simple. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. The guilt of sin picks away at a life and absolutely destroys it. And it is not that the believer is free from sin. The secret is that we must acknowledge our sin to God. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. It is learning to come continually before God and to say, God, my heart is so desperately sick. And if you think you will ever get to an age where that doesn't need to be done, it is older than where I am now because I've not hit that point. In fact, I am finding that I am having to come before the Lord continually saying, God, have mercy on me. God, keep my eyes directed, my mind directed on you. We are under continual temptation to follow the enemy of evil and to seek his ways and to become like the tares of this world and to think that in some way there is more joy in that, there is more happiness in that and more peace in that because we'll see somebody of the world and we'll think, oh, they look happy and I'm struggling here with my sin. They look pretty happy. Well, you give them a decade. Give them a decade. And I see it with many young students. They graduate, they think they've got the world by the tail. And they're going on in their own strength. And I say, give them a decade. And I meet them a decade later. And they've gone through the pain of divorce, the pain of this split has, has, has impacted their children, the pain of affected lives, and how sin has just chipped away at this beautiful, precious young life. The solution for the life of the believer is clear. It is learning to confess our sin to God. Never feel that you are intellectually beyond that. Never feel that you're intellectually beyond the point of falling on your knees. I encourage you to learn to do what the people in the Scriptures did. In fact, every time in Scripture, every time that it mentions the position of a person in prayer, Either they were on their face or on their knees. Except for two occasions that I know of. 
in one occasion, Solomon was dedicating the temple and he stood in the temple and dedicated it because he was standing before a group of people during that prayer of dedication. The second case is David was so overwhelmed with the forgiveness and the grace of God that he went and, and he just collapsed before the Lord and it says, and he sat on the ground in the temple and gave thanks to God. Other than those two examples, whenever it mentions a posture in prayer, either they were flat on their face or on their knees, and I beg you, don't become so intellectually proud, so intellectually advanced, that you don't have to fall on your knees in God's and say, God, help me a sinner. God, help me a sinner. Keep your finger right there in Psalm 32 because we're coming back to it. But look in 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 18. 1 Peter 4, verse 18. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will come of the godless man and the sinner? If it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will come of the godless man and the sinner? It is with difficulty that we go through life. You and I will have pains in this life just like unbelievers go through. Women will have miscarriages. There will be lost children. There will be the pain of the loss of loved ones. There will be car accidents. There will be scarring. There will be maiming. There will be loss of jobs. We go through very similar pains. But in some lives, it just absolutely strips them of all vitality. But in the believer, they stand so differently that even the believer looks back on those times of hardship and pain and says, God, Thank you for what you did in my life in that process. It is so different what God does in the life of believers. Go back to Psalm 32. Verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they will not reach Him. He says, let them learn to pray in a time when you may be found. Because like that older brother who was really so open, there were the two brothers, the older brother was really quite open. In fact, I really thought that that older brother was going to get saved not much longer after that younger brother was saved. But what happened is his life became harder and harder. And when that younger brother was begging the older brother not to divorce his first wife and started quoting something from the Bible, the older brother said, Never quote to me from that Bible. You don't know that that Bible has anything to do with my life. All of a sudden, I saw in that older brother this hardened heart that sin had come in and so hardened his heart. He was actually really not that hard about the things of God. In fact, he was going to church for some time. 
But he had become so hard. In fact, he said, I will never become a Christian. He became so hard in his life. And now I look and I wonder, will he ever cry out? Will he ever cry out for God? And this is why he's saying this. He says, surely in the flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Not that God is holding Himself aloof. It's that they have no capacity anymore to reach up and to say, God, help me in this flood of great waters. I have seen this with my own life. And I guarantee it that you will see it in your life, in the lives of many people around you. So that when you are my age, you will reflect back and you will say, yes, I've seen it in several lives. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You see what happens in the life of the believer? This believer had sin that was so overcoming him, it was afflicting his bones, his body, and causing him to groan and grumble. But here he says, I gave it over to you and I asked mercy from you and you delivered me. And not only did you forgive me, look at what you've done to my heart. You have become my hiding place, you've preserved me from trouble and you surround me with the songs of deliverance. Look what he does. He is happy with his songs of deliverance. You compare the life of the believer, the wheat to the tares as they go on in life, and the difference becomes greater and greater. It becomes so apparent, the life of the believer versus the life of the unbeliever. The life of the unbeliever becomes hard. The life of the believer, if he walks or she walks in the truth of the Word of God and takes this Word and makes this Word the thing that stands between them and sin, because really you will have many chances in your life, to turn away from God. What will keep you faithful to your spouse? That one little promise that you said on your wedding day, you won't even remember that day. I mean, I remember so little about that day. I mean, there was so much swirling around me. I remember just a few little things of that day. And my wedding wasn't videoed because they didn't have videos. Well, they, they did have video, but it wasn't something that everybody just held. It wasn't, you know, you, you pay a guy $300 and he comes and videos your wedding. We have, we have about 10 seconds of a little clip. One woman had a, you know, cheap little thing, a reel-to-reel thing. And it's, it's, it's about 30 seconds we have. That's all we have. But, and, and there's no sound there. <laughs> Not that they didn't have sound in videos. It's just... You know, these little camcorders weren't... You know, they came in about five years after that. People started having them. I remember so little. But what is it that, that keeps a person from being... To, to be, to keep, keeps a person being faithful to their spouse? It is not one little promise. For it is the Word of God which stands there that daily in my life reminds me of my commitment to God and warns me of what will happen if I don't walk faithfully, if I don't walk carefully, warns me what happens if I will lie against the truth. It is this Word that keeps us 
This word that keeps us true. Don't become so sophisticated that you don't think you need the Word of God. If you think you are too smart for the Word of God, you are so stupid. So stupid. If you think that you are too sophisticated for the Word of God, and if you ever say, well, I've read it, so I don't need to read it again, you're even more stupid because if you've read it sincerely, you will say, I need more. And every time you read this book through, you will want to read it again because there is more and more truth. And God speaks through this book like through no other book. And if you say, well, I don't get much out of the Word of God, learn to fall on your knees and read it every morning. And say, God, speak to me. Because it's come, become to you like parables who to the lost could understand nothing. But when God opens your mind and your heart, you will understand. I remember picking up the Bible as an unbeliever in high school and really sincerely trying to read it. And I remember reading a few pages and thinking, what on earth is the writer talking about? What is the fascination with this book? And then when I got saved, God opened my eyes. And that, that's not to say that some mornings I wake up and I feel like I'm just not getting anywhere. But I will persist and I say, God, speak to me through this book. And this book will stand between you and sin. It is like a mirror. And you will look in it and you, you will see your own life and your own face and it will be there before you. And it says, do you really want to go over this cliff? Do you really want to go there? You really think it looks inviting? Let me show you the life of a man, of a woman who made that decision. And you go, oh, ooh. It's really disgusting down there. And God says, yes, this is what will happen to you. You will not outsmart the Lord. You really will not. My neighbor, an old woman, had a house, gave the lot to her daughter. And the daughter's building a big house there. And, she, and I was speaking to the old lady and she said, yes, I gave the lot to my daughter. And she's moving in with this man. This man has two children and they're not married. But... It's a different generation. Different generation. People are different. And I said to her, Madam, you cannot outsmart the Lord. They will not do well. They will not do well. And how can I say that? How can I predict the future? Because I know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. I know that this young woman is looking for great pain in her life. Building a house to move in with a man who has two children, and they themselves are not married. I know she's setting her life up for a very difficult life, and she will look back on her life and think, why did I waste my years? But by then, her life will be over. There is a song that rises up in the life of the believer. The life of the unbeliever is cursing and spitting and growling. The life of the believer who's functioning in the ways of the Word of God is singing a song of deliverance. Verse 8, And I will, instru I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord's loving kindness shall, he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. He says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you shall go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So often I am confronted with a decision. And the decision involves walking in a way of truth or walking in a little bit of untruth. And God instructs me with His eye upon me and the Holy Spirit goes, boom! Right here in my heart. And said, it, it, is, it is really very easy, isn't it, to change your colors, to throw up a new flag that's consistent with the colors of the world. But are you willing to once again bear the colors of God's flag and go His direction? And the Holy Spirit will counsel us with His eyes upon us. And He will teach us the way of life and the way of destruction. Will you make that decision? You will have the choice who you will marry. Will you marry an unbeliever? The scripture says, how do you know, O wife, that you will save your husband? How do you know, O husband, that you will save your wife? You don't know. The scripture says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And I see this over and over again. Many young Christian women will hit their mid to late 20s and think, what is wrong with me? And they will compromise their faith and marry an unbeliever or a man who says he's a believer and she knows he really isn't, but he's kind of a believer. Say, is he a believer? Well, yeah, kind of. If, you, if he's yeah, kind of, he's not. He's really not. Either you're pregnant or you're not. Either you're a believer or you're not. You're not kind of pregnant. You're not kind of a believer. It can't be. It just can't be. And if there's a question, he's probably not. If you say, go ahead and pray, and all he can say is, Jesus, thank you for this food. Amen. If that's all he can pray, he's not a believer. Assume he's not a believer if that's all he can pray. And they will compromise on this. And I know what the future holds for them. And you know what they do? They will avoid me. Those young women will avoid me because they don't want me to meet their boyfriend. One young lady, she used to be part of this class. Wonderful, attractive young lady. She was an engineer here, became an engineer here in town. She moved to Clear Lake or someplace not far, met some guy, and then, then she called up the house, and she spoke to Shireen. She said, I want Dr. Tour to meet this young man. And Shireen said, is he a Christian? She said, no, but he's very nice. And Shireen said, well, Dr. Tour is going to tell you you shouldn't marry him. And guess what? She never called back, because that's exactly what I would say. Because the day I stop teaching this word, the day I start compromising, that is the day you should fear. That is the day you go somewhere else, if I compromise on this word. Don't compromise on this issue of who you believe of who you will marry. He will guide you with his eye upon you. And it is better not to marry than to marry an unbeliever. 
because you set yourself up for a lot of pain. And if it is God's will for you to marry, He will bring a person in your life. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. He will not leave us like illegitimate children. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He says He will instruct us, so He will instruct us. If we will give Him our ear, He will instruct us. And I will counsel you in the way you should go. I would be like a father to you. I would counsel you. I'd speak to you through the Word of God. He says, don't be like a stinking mule who without a bit and a bridle can't be instructed. Don't make me put a hook in your nose because I don't do it and leave you around like that. I counsel you with my eye upon you. Because without free will, there can be no love. And He knows that. And He never overcomes our free will. We have the right to choose. He does not overcome our free will. He allows us to choose wrongly rather than forcing us to choose what is right. He allows us to choose wrongly rather than forcing us to choose what is right. Because that is the only way that love could be. Verse 10, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Look at that unbeliever. Look at that tear, which you think is, is having a very nice life. I ask you, give them a decade. And you will see, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the unbeliever. You see that young girl, she's running around with this guy, this guy, this guy. She looks so happy. She is not. She is not. Six times higher suicide rate among promiscuous teens. Does promiscuity make you happier? Apparently not. God knows what He's talking about. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Wherever I look, I see loving kindness. I look at my house and say, what more could I ever want in a house? This is more than I need. I mean, i got space everywhere. I can go into this room. There's nobody there. I can go to another room. There's nobody there. i got more rooms than I know what to do with. I can sit in this chair, that chair, the other chair. i got, I got, I got 500 chairs in my house I can sit in. I got so many chairs, and Shereen wants to go out and buy more chairs. We got so many chairs. And I look around, I got four kids. Kids everywhere. Got kids. We've got college students all around the house, too. I mean, everywhere I look, there's people. I mean, I've got people. I've got, I've got things. You know, I wanna, if, if, if I wanted to, I could buy a plot of land where I could go hunting. You know, I could... You know, I could really be living and get a double wide out in the woods, man. I mean, now that's life, isn't it? You know, whatever I want, I could have. God has given me everything. Wherever I go, He surrounds me with His loving kindness. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all ye who are upright in heart. The wheat and the tares begin looking the same. But as they grow, near the end, when it comes time to sprout, near the end, they look 
very different. And it says in Matthew, let's turn back there before we close, Matthew chapter 13, lest we forget. It says in Matthew, chapter 13, verse 41, the Son of Man will send forth His angels, verse 41 of chapter 13, and they will gather out of His kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them in the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The righteous will shine forth. You will have a blessed life. I cannot guarantee you that you will never have the pain of death of a loved one. I can't guarantee you that your house will never burn down. I can't guarantee you that you'll never lose, lose your job. But you will be able to shine forth as the sun in the kingdom. That you will have a treasure which nobody can take away from you if you will walk with God. But I can guarantee you this. If you do not know the Lord, or if you stray from His way, you will bring trouble upon yourself. If you do not know the Lord, you will be thrown into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And for that creeping in lie that says a loving God would never send anybody to hell, then you must stand here and call Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a liar. Because He said they will be thrown into this fire, this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will be thrown into this furnace of fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus spoke very vividly of what is in store for the unbeliever. If you do not know God, if you've never asked Him into your life, ask Him this day. You must be saved. And then if you know God, learn to walk and put this book between you and sin because you will be under perpetual temptation to follow the way of sin. And this book can save you from it. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this Word, for so clearly speaking that there is a way of truth, a way of righteousness, and it comes through confessing our sin to God, lest it wear away at our life and destroy us, and allowing You to work in our lives to bring forgiveness, And Father, thank You that You then put that song of deliverance, that You will instruct us with Your eye upon us. Just with Your eye, You will instruct us. You will never push us with Your hand, but just with Your eye, You will instruct us through Your Word. Father, I pray for these these young people. Father, I ask You to come upon their lives that they would submit themselves to the Word of God and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And that they would put this Word of God in front of them. That through this they will feel your instruction. And they will know your Word so that your Holy Spirit can speak to their hearts and instruct them. When the way of truth and the way of untruth comes before them. Father, give them good lives, I pray. Let them marry well into the kingdom of God. I commit them and into your life. And into your hands, O Father, have mercy on their souls. In the name of Jesus, Amen.